having a church with a baptistry in it because having this enables us to do baptisms in many different ways. Immersion, um, we can sprinkle, we can pour, we can baptize young people, we can baptize old people. You know, it has steps in there so people who aren't as physically able can get in. And I love that it's here right up front, right here every week as a reminder. If you never knew it was here before, now you're, you're not going to forget it. It's a reminder of our mission that Jesus has given us to make disciples of all nations and to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so every week, this is a reminder of that mission that God is calling us to go out and to invite people on a journey with him and to help them take that next step and to become part of this community. And I know some of your stories. I know some of your baptism stories. Some of you were baptized when you were young. Some of you more recently. I don't know everybody or if everybody in this room has been baptized but this morning, we're going to be talking about baptism, and I especially want to share with you the story of a baptism of someone who was about my age when he was baptized. And this baptism was no ordinary baptism. This was an epic baptism as far as baptisms go. And when this person was baptized, things in their life took a new direction. And as Nikki said earlier, this morning, we're going to be talking about the baptism of Jesus. We've been in this series called The Journey where we've been looking at different people's journeys with God. And Jesus' baptism comes after a long journey with God. And we've been zooming in on life-changing moments in people's lives. And now, when we think about Jesus' life, it's hard to pinpoint one life-changing moment, right? I mean, his whole world was a life-changing moment. It was earth-shattering every moment of every day. But there's something about his baptism, because it was right after his baptism that he began his public ministry his ministry to the world in which he taught people, he preached, he healed people, his ministry that ultimately led him to the cross and to his resurrection. And so we're going to be looking at the story of Jesus' baptism today because it's not only an important historical story that happened 2,000 years ago, it's also something that has relevance for us as Jesus followers today. And so we're going to be looking in Matthew's Gospel in Matthew chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to that. And now, Jesus' baptism is recorded in all four Gospels. That is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament. And these four Gospels, they're simply different people's accounts of Jesus' life. And today we're going to be looking at Matthew's account of Jesus' baptism. And it occurs in Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan, that is the Jordan River, to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. And as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. Some translations say it this way. This is my beloved son. With him, I am well pleased. Now, some of you might have read some of the Gospels before, and if you have, you know that in Matthew's account of Jesus' life, 
we don't have a lot of details about his early life, his first years. Matthew tells us that Jesus is a descendant of Abraham. Remember the first week I was here, I talked about how Abraham had a promise from God, and God said, through you all people will be blessed. Well, now we're seeing the fulfillment of that promise as Jesus is born as a descendant of Abraham to bless the whole world. And you know the story of his birth. It's a very miraculous birth, born of a virgin. It's a spectacular scene. Then we find out the wise men visited him, that he had to flee to Egypt because of violence that was coming against him and his family. And then we learn that he grew up in Nazareth, and that's really about it. And now, some of you might not be familiar with the the culture and times of Jesus back then, but Jesus was born before the age of social media. And so he didn't have, you know, Mary and Joseph going around taking a picture of him at the pool every single time he went to the pool or to the River Jordan, right? They didn't, they didn't take pictures of Jesus dancing in the first words he spoke or anything like that. So we don't have a lot of details from his early years. But if there was social media back then, I feel like there's one part of Jesus' life that would have gone viral. And that is when he was hanging out with his cousin, John. His cousin, John the Baptist. Now, if you're familiar with John the Baptist, he was a wild guy. John was like a guy who is made for Facebook. He's the guy you're scrolling through and you just watch the funny video of this country guy living in the woods. He wore clothing made out of camel's hair, a leather belt. He probably had a long, straggly beard and he ate wild locusts and honey. That's what the Bible tells us for his meals. And this backwoods preacher, John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, he's out in the wilderness and People and people and people keep on coming to him to hear him preach, to hear this message that he's proclaiming to people, that the kingdom of God has come near and now repent. And so I can just see this video of this country preacher in this robe made out of camel's hair, long lines of people, and people are being baptized by John in the Jordan River. And this is happening... And one day Jesus walks on the scene. Jesus walks on the scene. He goes to the wilderness. He finds John and he says, I need you to baptize me. But John says, no, no, no. I've been preaching that someone greater is coming. I've been paving the way for you. I don't need to baptize you. You need to baptize me. But Jesus said this to him. Jesus said, it must be done in order to fulfill all righteousness. And so John consented and he baptized Jesus. And now this phrase, in order to fulfill all righteousness, scholars try to figure out exactly what it means because this whole scene can be a little confusing for us, right? Why did Jesus need to be baptized? The other people John was baptizing, they were repenting of their sins, they were confessing their sins. But we know the rest of the story. We know Jesus was without sin. And it doesn't say that he repented or confessed anything when he was baptized. And John the Baptist even says himself, Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. So what's going on here? Well, there were a number of rituals in the Jewish culture at the time that involved water. Sometimes there were baths of water that people who were deemed ritually unclean, they would walk into and they would walk out and they would be deemed clean. There was also a type of baptism at the time where if someone was converting 
from being a Gentile that is a non-Jew to becoming a Jewish person, they would be baptized. But that's not exactly what's going on here. What we see going on here is something new. It's something different. It's the beginning of Christian baptism that we know of today. And we see Jesus and these others being claimed by God in a special way. And we see them being called out for his purposes in the world. And so Jesus is baptized by John. And then something amazing happens, right? This is what it says. It says, A voice from heaven broke out and said, This is my Son, whom I love. With Him, I am well pleased. So as Jesus is baptized, His baptism validates John's message. He gives us an example of what we're to do later, which He later commanded us to do, to be baptized. And through His baptism, Jesus is identifying with us as sinners and letting us know that that He's not above us, He is with us. He's with us anywhere and everywhere we'll go. And at his baptism, God reveals to him his unique identity. God proclaims over him, you are my son. The one I've sent into the world to save. The one who is to enact justice. The one who is to save the people from their sins. You are my son who has a unique calling in this world. Whom I love. And with you, I am well pleased. Those are beautiful words. They're beautiful words, but they're also interesting because Jesus already knew this about himself, right? He knew he was the son sent into the world to save it. He knew that he was loved by God, his father. He knew that God was well pleased with him, and yet God says it anyway. And God says it anyway because... There's something about a declaration of love. There's something about telling someone how you feel about them that's invigorating and empowering. For those of you who are married, I don't know if you remember the first time your spouse said, I love you. For me and Emily, it took about two years, right? I was a little slow on it. But do you remember that moment where they first said, I love you? You might have known in your heart before that moment that they loved you. But when they said it, something changed in the relationship. On Friday night, I was at a rehearsal dinner and people were giving toasts and speaking words of love and affirmation over the bride and groom. And as they told them how much they loved him, you could feel the atmosphere in the room change. You could feel the excitement and the encouragement and the love. Because when we speak words of love over someone, they are empowering. But here's the thing, the opposite is also true. When words of love are withheld, it's disempowering. When I was researching items for this sermon... I came across an article from the National Center on Fathering. And they said they often conduct informal research at their gatherings with men. And they asked 
groups of men this question. Please raise your hand if your father told you that he loved you on a consistent basis. And they said the results are predictable. Usually only 3 to 4% of men raise their hands. And I've been in enough men's Bible studies to know that's true. So often so many of us haven't heard words of love proclaimed over us. We haven't been reminded of that. And it's disempowering. But thankfully for Jesus, as he stepped into the future, as he began his public ministry, God his Father said, You are my beloved, and with you I am well pleased. And it energized him, it invigorated him, and it helped him launch his public ministry. But here's the thing. God gave Jesus his unique identity at his baptism. And through our baptisms, God does the same thing. Through our baptisms, God tells us what our true identity is. God tells us what he thinks of us. He sees us and he says, you are my son. You are my daughter. You are my son. You are my daughter, and with you, I am well pleased. I love you. At our baptisms, God does the same thing. He tells us what he thinks about us. And now what's interesting here is that the identity God gives us through our baptisms, it isn't something that's earned or something that can be achieved. Instead, it's something that's bestowed upon us. And now bestowed, that's an old word, which really, who uses that word anymore? But I think it's a good word because it gets at something essential to baptism. Because bestowed is something that means this. Jim Branch, a devotional writer, defines it this way. He says, something bestowed at its very nature is something that can only be given It's a gift, something we can never hope to attain on our own, but something that can only be done for us or to us. Bestow focuses all of the attention on the heart of the giver, not on the worthiness, skill, or aptitude of the receiver. You see, in baptism, it's not mainly about us and what we're doing or what we're saying to God. Baptism is mainly about God and what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And what God thinks about us and how God feels about us. And through our baptism, God bestows upon us. He gives to us freely a new identity. And that identity is beloved. Beloved. Now, beloved is another word we don't use a lot anymore, right? But beloved simply means someone who is loved. And through our baptisms, God says that over us. He says, you are loved and no one can take that away from you. Because God's love, it's not like the love on The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. Right? Any Bachelorette, Bachelor fans in here? Wait, can we confess? Yeah, okay. All right, it's okay. This is a safe place. That's not the kind of love that God has for us. God's love is an unconditional love. It's an eternal love. It's a never-changing love. It's a sacrificial love. God's love is revealed to us most fully 
when he sent his son into this world, Jesus, to die on the cross for us. That's the nature of God's love. It gives. It goes. It's unconditional. And that's the identity that God gives us through our baptism. He says, you are my beloved. So when you think about yourself, who you are, who you are at your core, deep down, when you think about your self-image, is that the first thing that comes to your mind? That you are God's beloved child? If that's not the first thing that comes to mind, well, you're in good company because for me, a lot of times, that's not the first thing that comes into my mind either. So often, other labels come to mind. Other words, other identities come to mind because the world is constantly attacking that true identity that God has given us. People, products, and powers in this world are constantly coming at us, getting us to question that true identity God has given us. And they came at Jesus as well. Because right after his baptism, if you read in Matthew, you read from chapter 3, his baptism, and what happens immediately after? His temptation. That's what comes after immediately. The temptation is in your bulletins. And we find here in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus going from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows. We have this epic moment where the Trinity is revealed, God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit coming down. It's so glorious. And then immediately Jesus is led into the wilderness. He fasts for 40 days. And then he is tested by Satan. I want to read with you that passage for us. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, Well, it's written that man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it's written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus again answered him from Scripture. It's also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said, all this I will give you if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan. Away from me, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him. And the angels came and attended him. Notice what's happening here. Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, he's hungry, he's tired, and he's tested in life just like you and I are. His identity as God's beloved son is tested by Satan. Did you notice what he says twice? If you are the son of God... Turn these stones into bread. Prove it to me. If you are the Son of God, jump and let the angels catch you. 
But Jesus, he knows he doesn't have to prove his identity to anybody. He doesn't have to prove it. He doesn't have to question it because he knows that's what his father thinks about him. He knows that's who he is deep down. And so then Satan tries something else. He says, okay, how about you trade your identity as son of God for another identity? How about this? How about you can be all-powerful? You can rule over all the kingdoms of the world. That can be your new identity. That can be your label, powerful, if you'll just do one thing, bow down and worship me. But Jesus doesn't fall for it. Jesus knows who he is. He knows whose he is. And he doesn't fail. He doesn't fail, but so often we do. So often we fail when other people, when other voices come into our lives and try to get us to question our identity. Henry Nouwen, a theologian, he says it this way, Yes, there is the voice that speaks from above and that whispers softly to us, You are my beloved. On my, you, my favor, rests. He says this, But it's not easy to hear that voice these days because the world is filled with voices that shout at us, You are no good. You are ugly. You are worthless. You are despicable. You are nobody unless you can demonstrate the opposite. And I don't know about you, but that's how I feel sometimes. Voices inside myself try to label me as something other than a child of God. Voices in the world say to me, that's not who you are. Who you really are is this. And so if you're willing to be a little vulnerable with me this morning, I want to do an activity together. I want us to list some of the labels that the world gives us. Some of the things that the world tells us we are. And so for me, when I think of it, I fill in the blank. Jonathan, you are blank. Jonathan, you should be blank. And so one of the things that the world tells me, and the world tells many of us, is Jonathan, you should be successful, right? That's an identity that the world is constantly telling us we should be. When I was younger, I was overweight for many years, and you know what people told me? They said, you are fat. And that was a label. That was a label I put on myself and that I wore. Other times, I've said to myself, you're unlovable. It's a label. That's an identity some of us take on. And some of the things that come at us are good, not necessarily bad things. Some of them aren't things we want to be called. But what are some other labels that people have given you or that the world tells us that we should be, we should achieve? What are some? Shout them out. Buy more. Yeah, you should, you should have more stuff, right? One of the things we are constantly told is we should be, we should be rich. What are some other things? What are some other labels that you've had people label you as throughout your life? I heard worthless. What else? Ugly. 
What else? What are some other labels that we get? Okay, you can't make any mistakes. You have to be perfect. Do what? Kind. Yeah, you must be kind. You are kind. That's a good one, right? Some of these are things that we want to live up to. Some of them are hard for us to achieve. And we spend our lives trying to do it. What else? Stupid. Do what? Giving, yeah. You should be giving. Selfish. Failure. Damage, wow. And the list up here could continue, right? We could do this all morning. And I encourage you to go home today and in your, in your notes section, write down some of the labels that people have given you. Labels that you give to yourself. Because throughout our lives, we spend so much energy trying to achieve some of these, right? Trying to be successful, trying to be rich, trying to be perfect, to be kind. That, that's who we are and we feel this pressure to achieve it. And so it requires a lot of energy from us. And some of these require a lot of emotion from us because time and time again, we feel like we're lazy. We feel like we're unlovable. We feel like we're damaged and we're not sure how to move on. All of these voices are coming at us constantly from within us and from outside of us. But here's the thing. These aren't who we really are. These aren't who we're called to be. Through our baptisms, God has bestowed upon us a new identity. And it's underneath all of these identities. At our core, the truest thing about us is that we are beloved. We are God's children whom God loves. And other people, Satan and ourselves, we get in the way and we wear these labels. God wants us to take them off. And God wants us to live as his beloved people. And constantly God is whispering to us and sometimes God is shouting at us, you are mine, you are loved. Just look at the cross. That's how you know you're loved. But even so, even with God telling us that and God's word telling us that, sometimes it's not enough, right? We still don't believe it. We still believe all of these labels because they've been ingrained to us. They've been told to us. We've internalized them so many times. And that's one of the reasons why we need the church. We need other people to tell us these things aren't true. They're not the truest thing about you. You are God's. You are loved. Just look at the cross. We're here from you. That's one of the beautiful things about the church. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I wonder what if 
What if Jesus had accepted the labels that people put onto him? What if Jesus internalized all those things that people said about him, that he was a liar, that he was divisive, that he had come to destroy everything? What if he had turned the stones into bread or bowed down? He probably wouldn't have called the disciples right after that. He probably wouldn't have given his life for us. We wouldn't be sitting here today. And then I ask myself sometimes, what if I stopped believing all of these things? What if I took off all of these labels that I've put on myself and that other people have put on me? What if I took off all of these identities and lived out of my true identity? What could God do in me? What could God do through me? How would God's power be shown in this world? And I don't know about you, but even in my short time here, I've, I've begun to, to dream and to wonder, what if we as a church took these off? What if we, we shed them and we started living boldly as God's beloved people. What could God do in us as a church? What could God do through us as a church? That's a dream I've been having lately.